welcome to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the founder of Habitual Beauty and Crumbled Foods, Kira Rumble. Kira Rumble is as resilient as it gets. At age 20, at roughly the same time that she realised she had very little interest in her job, she was diagnosed as pre-diabetic. Out of necessity, she began making changes to her diet and lifestyle, but she wasn't seeing nor feeling a marked change to her health. Upon discovering that the supposedly healthy protein balls she'd been snacking on boasted the sugar equivalent of a donut, she tried her hand at making her own. It turns out she had a knack for it. Kira started posting her recipes online, and when she realised her blog following had expanded well into the overseas market, she turned those recipes into a protein ball business, a business she very openly deems a failure. Failure aside, Kira had already started conceptualising not one but two new businesses, a skincare brand and a range of collagen-rich snacks. She pitched the former to Sephora a few minutes after receiving a phone call from her doctor to inform her that she was, at that very moment, suffering from a miscarriage. The pitch, understandably, didn't go according to plan, with Sephora suggesting Kira revisit her skincare idea after launching the collagen snacks. So that's exactly what she did. With no physical product or prototype, Kira cold-pitched Crumbled Foods' first product, Beauty Bites, to Priceline. Within eight months of launching, Beauty Bites was stocked in Priceline, Coles and Urban Outfitters. She was about to complete the Sephora Accelerate program and she was preparing to launch Habitual Beauty with nine SKUs across two categories all while dealing with multiple pregnancy losses. Kira launched Habitual Beauty about a day before New South Wales and Victoria went back into COVID lockdown and a week after giving birth to her son, Hunter. Today, Habitual Beauty is available in-store and online at Sephora and is about to launch into the UK. In this conversation, Kira shares why she is currently reviewing her company's employment contracts to make the workplace better for all women, her take on competition, and why she feels launching a brand across multiple categories at once is an asset, not a hindrance. Before you launched multiple businesses. I understand that you've worked in advertising, you've worked in design, but I want to go back even further. To start, what is your very, very earliest memory of beauty? Having the Revlon eyeshadows with that little applicator. Yeah. Stealing it and putting on almost drag makeup in front of my mum's mirror as a little girl. Mm. What did your mum have to say about that? I think my 
mum was actually okay about it because she liked that I was expressing myself. Mm-hmm. But I think that, I mean, it wasn't a habit. She was happy for me to keep up, um, taking her makeup. But, yeah, that's definitely, I just remember that applicator and that smell of eyeshadow back then. What did you want to be when you grew up? I feel like design is sort of at the pillar of a lot of what you do. Is that something that you'd always had an interest in? No, absolutely not. I don't think I ever really had a true a true career path. Um, I went to uni for a semester doing public communications. Yes. I wanted to start earning more money and I just was not loving uni. So I quit. Well, I deferred the longest deferring ever. Yeah. And uh, I went into real estate thinking I was really going to love that, you know, hustling of, you know, trying to get commission and all of that. It turns out I didn't really love real estate. The cold calling was not a vibe for me. Uh, Mm. And then I landed up in an EA job for a digital agency. I had this in my notes comes for a semester, then into real estate. Was there yeah. a moment though when you realised that you didn't like real estate or was it just a combination of things, the cold calling being one of them? Look, I think I dreaded going into work and I thought that if I was dreading going into work now and I'd been in it for only a few yeah. years, then how would it be, you know, as an established career? And, yeah, sure, like, you know, take my hat off to anyone in real estate it's really long hours Mm. and really intensive but I just felt like I'd be standing at the door and people would be walking in and it was just a it wasn't me it really wasn't me I mean I really struggle with having too many people around and meeting new people and I'm very much an introvert in the fact that I need my own space and I find it quite draining being around a lot of people so I think that from the outset I mean real estate is not not for me Not quite. That's good foresight, though, because I feel like a lot of people who are in their, say, early 20s who are miserable at work, it takes them a little bit longer to get out of whatever career that might be because they have nothing to really compare it to. So they start thinking, oh, but this is probably normal. Absolutely. Yeah. Not the case. Talk to me about your time as an EA. Were there any lessons that you took from that when your sort of working life was in its infancy? that you find you're still applying to your work now? Yeah, absolutely. I got to learn about how to set up companies and company Mm -hmm. structure, uh, email organization. Ha, my (laughs) emails are very overwhelmed at the moment, but at that point I was, you know, incredibly organized and, you know, organization was definitely something that I like I took pride in but now at the moment you know we were chatting before I'm at the pet I'm, I'm at the stage where I need an assistant yeah but you also have multiple businesses and a child now so. absolutely I know <laughs> uh yeah so I think it was just you know even just diary management and you know all of the things that I now do on a day-to-day basis I definitely learnt and I think that that gave me a good insight into what it was like to own a business Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so much more now that I have multiple businesses. <laughs> so when you, while we're sort of on that time, when you were 20, you were diagnosed as pre-diabetic. Yeah. What 
led up to that diagnosis? Did you already feel like something might have been off health-wise? Yeah. So, I mean, I remember sitting at Manly Beach, this distinct moment, and I was looking at these mums running around with kids, these people doing running and, you know, all of these fit and healthy and, you know, active people. And I was sitting there feeling so terrible, so nauseous, lethargic, and just really genuinely unwell. Mm -hmm. And I just thought to myself, there's something not right. And so I went to a few doctors and they were like, oh no, you know, it's hormonal, it's blah, 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 blah. And then I went to one integrative doctor and he tested my insulin. Mm -hmm. And he's like, if you keep on living your lifestyle the way that you are and eating the way that you are, you're going to become a diabetic. You're now insulin resistant or pre-diabetic. And I mean, I was a 20 year old. And so mm. I was so taken off guard. And literally overnight, I knew that I needed to change the way that I was you know, eating and how I was living my life. And so that's really what put me into this whole world of, you know, wellness and everything. So is that where your interest in that space came from? Because it's one thing to be told like, okay, you need to change your lifestyle, but then to actively take an interest in it, I feel like it's another thing entirely. Yeah, it was definitely the insight into how I fell into that world. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was then overnight, I changed what I was eating and I would then go to the supermarket, try and look for healthy alternatives and healthy snacks. And then I was grabbing protein balls and not really making much progress in terms of my health after Mm -hmm. trying to make this healthy switch. And it wasn't until I picked up a packet of protein balls and looked on the back and realized that there was more sugar in that than donuts. And I was like, what is going on? So that's when I started making my own snacks. And then all of a sudden I had cafes in Bondi picking me up and I was hand rolling in my kitchen and we launched a product called Crumbles based on this fact. And that's when I started Crumbled Foods. So around this time as well, you start blogging, you start posting your recipes. Lorna Jane publishes some of your work in her. Great deep diving on me. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's it's funny to do a deep dive on someone that you actually already know. It's a very yeah. different experience. So your online following starts to grow from there. Yeah. At what point, though, was there a specific moment when you thought, okay, I can actually turn this traction into a physical business? It really happened really quickly. Mm-hmm. The, uh, you know, I did a charity event and I had made all these protein balls and there were so many cafe owners there and they were like, can we please get these? These are amazing. And I went from just a little hobby into a full-blown business overnight and I was still working my office job. And I would be doing deliveries in my lunch break. You know, it was very chaotic. And I was focusing on the blog. And, you know, after Lorna Jane did the ebook with my recipes, it was overnight. It was just chaos, which like a good, perfect chaos. And uh, then, yeah, my boss said to me, you either quit this side job or you quit here. And I turned around and said, I quit. There you go. So you were making them in I think a rented commercial kitchen how did you scale that business to a point where you could quit your day job Uh, I definitely wasn't planning on quitting the day that I quit yeah I can relate yeah uh so I definitely think that the first few months were a bit of a struggle but 
I mean, I was, you know, it was so busy. I'd be up in that kitchen until like 1 or 2 a.m. hand rolling these bloody protein balls. No, thanks. It was really, really time consuming. And so then I said, okay, I need to commercialize this. I need to make this into a proper business. Me sitting here, this time that I'm spending when I could be selling is not best spent. And so... I mean, Crumbles definitely failed. It was a really, it was a business where I learned a lot. And I think that now I'm only in a headspace where I can actually talk about the failures of that mm. business because, you know, Beauty Bites, I've learned what not to do. And I've really instilled that into Beauty Bites and Habitual Beauty. So, uh, yeah, I just did things the incorrect way. I spent money where I didn't need to be spending it. The product I launched wasn't commercially viable. The margins were all out of whack. Mm. I employed people to do the things that I should be doing. And um, yeah, it failed. How long was it in between launching and in your words, failing? I would say a good 18 months. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I knew pretty early on. I mean, I was avoiding my numbers. I was avoiding mm. logging into my zero. I was avoiding logging into Westpac. And I was really fortunate that the social media side of things was funding this failing business. And it got yeah. to the point where I was like, okay, I know I can do good business. I know that I've got good concepts. I just need to find the right method in this madness to create a product. I launched protein balls into such a highly saturated market too. And so that's when I was literally just sitting at home. I had made a collagen smoothie I had taken all my vitamins, my probiotics, and then I had made a snack and I was sitting there and I was like, why can't I create this into something that's an all-in-one? Mm-hmm. Okay, so enter collagen. Where did your interest in collagen specifically come from? When did that start to take off? I think a good 12 months before I even came up with the concept for this mm-hmm. snack and supplement, I had originally been taking it for more joint and bone health. Yeah. Uh, joint health mainly. Uh, and then I started looking at, I was really heavily interested in looking at trends overseas. So I was looking at trends in the US and I was just infatuated by the market over there. I went to San Fran um, and New York and I was just wandering through their supplement and health food stores and that's when I really you know I bought a heap of stuff and I brought it home and I started playing around with it and then you know making my collagen smoothies and I think it was there when I started to see you know my skin getting better my nails getting stronger my hair growing quicker but I was only taking small doses I was only taking I think 2000 milligrams at that time. Cause I didn't know that, you know, there's data behind taking, you know, 10,000 milligrams mm. or 5,000 milligrams to actually really help fast track your results. So yeah, it was, you know, I came up with this idea and at the time it was such a foreign concept. I mean, I remember going into the retailers and they just couldn't quite comprehend the fact that it was a snack, but it was also a vitamin and a supplement. And we created this category. Mm, it's everything at once for anyone who is not across beauty bites I keep forgetting that maybe not everyone is across it because it's like (laughs) essential for me can you talk us through it what was that gap that you were looking to fill so this all-in-one snack and supplement Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I was spending so much money and so much time on my collagen powders and my vitamins and my probiotics and then my snacks. And I was living such a chaotic life at that time. I was doing deliveries and all of that sort of stuff while still having crumbles in the background that I just needed something that could be this all in one. And at the time there was no product at the time of launch, we were the only snack and supplement and we pitched it into Priceline. When I had this concept, I flew down to Melbourne and I met with the PR girl and I said, I've got this amazing idea. And she's like, okay, great. Do you have samples? And I said, no, 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 no. I just got this really good idea. Is that something that Priceline will be interested in before I go and spend money on, you know, getting these formulations and everything ready. And she's like, yes, absolutely. Get back to us. And then we spent a good 12 months in formulation. I went back down and met with the buyer. I showed them prototypes and they were just hooked. They completely understood this snack and supplement space that I was trying to get into. And uh, yeah, we launched into Priceline, which was just such a pinch me moment. Nice. And then three months later, I walked into the doors at Coles, the head office, and I tried to pitch to these two blokes this concept of a collagen supplement and a snack. And I really, you know, let the product talk for itself because first and foremost, we are a snack and a food. And, you know, then I had to educate them about the benefits that they would have. I mean, we've got more collagen in our beauty bites than most collagen sachets mm -hmm. on the market. And so I tried to educate them about this, you know, this cult following we had online and, you know, how beneficial it would be for the category to actually grow the category incrementally rather than taking away from other, other brands. And I mean, yeah, we've just been, we've been a pioneer in that space and there've been a lot of knockoffs <laughs> of the product. Um, a lot of come trade. back to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. That's a yeah. fun one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So within eight months of launching Priceline, Coles, Urban Outfitters, this is where the timeline becomes pretty classic you because there's a lot happening at once. Before you launched Beauty Bites, you had another business idea, that idea being Habitual Beauty. Mm -hmm. And when you pitched Habitual Beauty to Sephora, they told you to launch Beauty Bites first. Yeah. Why was that? So I went in and let me give you a bit of context. And this Please. is a bit of a Debbie, Debbie Downer on the conversation. So I had just, I walked in, I was wearing, I had my Prada handbag, I think. I had my Louis Vuitton shoes on for this interview. I was wearing all white. Mm -hmm. And five minutes before I walked into this meeting, I got a call from my doctor saying I was having a miscarriage. I'm glad you've offered this up voluntarily because I was I was going to have to bring it up. So, so we're here. We're yeah, here. we're here. So I, on, I was very much focused on that. But then I said, okay, I've got to put my big girl pants on, my big white girl pants on. Yeah. And realize that I'm about to pitch to such an incredible retailer this idea. And at the time, Beauty Bites were pretty much at finalization in terms of the formulation and everything. And my focus was very much on that. And so they pretty much just said, we need you to go ahead and launch this product. It sounds amazing. Come back to us. And I was like, stuff you, like you've just rejected me. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna come back to you. I'm not gonna launch Habitual Beauty. And then 
And then I just kept on having this focus on my, you know, we launched Beauty Bites and it was going amazing. I'd set that foundational roadmap up. Um, and then I get an email from Sephora saying, hey, we want you to apply again. Hmm. And I was in Morocco at the time. So I got my little camera up and I did a little spiel on habitual beauty and what I had been doing. I've been working on it in the background as more of a hobby. And uh, yeah, I got the call saying, we love it. We love you. Proven track record for, la- track record for launching a brand. Mm. Let's go again. You clearly know what you're doing. And then COVID hit. <laughs> uh, that old chestnut. <laughs> I, I do want to talk more about this time. Obviously, physically and emotionally devastating. You launch Beauty Bites in the midst of all of this. Yeah. You come back to Habitual Beauty. This might be a tough one to answer, but how did you physically and mentally pick yourself up and do it? I feel like it's easier said than done to be like, all right, I've just got to get it done. How did you, I mean, how? I saw it as an escape. Yeah. I saw, I mean, I was battling endometriosis, um, multiple losses, as you know, mm. um, I saw my work as a way to escape what I was going through. And I think that I found it almost therapeutic in a way to be able to focus on something that wasn't so heartbreaking. And sure, absolutely, it was really challenging at some times. I mean, I saw a therapist, you know, every fortnight, every week occasionally, who really helped me get through it and really taught me this mechanic of, You know, if something came up that would really trigger me or if something came up and really upset me, I would put it in this virtual box and put it away. And then come therapy time, we would unpack that box. Now, the way that she taught that was, you know, I've got a lot of trauma from childhood. Um, And so we've done all of this sort of brain work and these coping mechanisms. And that was one tool that she taught me. And I found it really, really beneficial to if something happened or I saw a pregnancy announcement or, you know, something that would really upset me, I would just have to take a deep breath in and put it away, not let it overflow, but then, you know, break it down when I was with her in a safe space. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's It's absolutely, it's a lot. And I think that that's something that I'm really conscious of that as a business owner now is, you know, I've literally tomorrow is international women's day i'm not sure when this Mm. podcast will come out but i got asked a question oh wonderful i got asked this interview um just moments before being like you know how do you find yourself as a business owner you know what does you know being a female founder how do you impactfully change people and it's coming down to my you know employment contracts i mean i looked through our employment contracts and there's no there's nothing written in about bereavement leave or you know Mm. if you're going through a loss or anything so now I'm working on a company policy that you know my lawyer couldn't quite comprehend the fact that I said oh I want people if they've gone through a loss or gone through something traumatic to be able to take time off that's not incorporated into their sick leave and he just Mm. couldn't quite comprehend that and so I think that you know while everything has been really hard and you know my life to date you know, I've definitely had some massive challenges and trauma. I think that it's led me to the person that I am today. And I think that I've been put through those challenges to, you know, have an impact in one way or another, another, another person's life. Mm. Well, I think I know what the answer to this one's going to be, but do you think 
Sephora were right? Do you think that launching Beauty Bites first was the right call? Absolutely. Yeah. Good. Absolutely. <laughs> launching a skincare brand is expensive. Yeah. yeah. It certainly seems to be. Yeah, I launched nine SKUs. I was can't believe I even thought that that would be a clever idea. It's a very expensive process. <laughs> yeah. Just a casual Definitely. nine SKUs. What was the gap that you were looking to fill with habitual beauty? Yeah, sure. So I would be, so basically throughout my, uh, my infertility journey, mm. I was hearing a lot of chatter about, you shouldn't be putting this on your skin. You shouldn't be doing that. And I made the transition into a clean skincare range and I was not getting the results that I wanted and needed as my cosmeceutical products. And I found that I was then supplementing by having a higher dose in my collagen. So I'd be having multiple beauty bites a day and, you know, having stronger collagen intakes just so I could get the benefits from where my skincare was lacking. And it wasn't until I sort of thought, okay, well, there's clearly a gap in the marketplace. At the time when we launched, there was not one brand that launched with both skincare and wellness, you know, supplements to really work synergistically together to help fast track those results. So it was at that point where I realized, okay, this is where it needs to be. We need to do, you know, we've got clinically proven supplements in the collagen elixir Mm -hmm. and I know that you'll be getting results within six weeks, but what if we then incorporate a clean yet highly active skincare range to really complement it and to really fast track those results. So we're working from the inside out. And so that was the gap in the marketplace. I mean, in the, the Sephora accelerator program that I was put forward for, it was very much a key point of difference. And, you know, you get a lot of supplement brands launching supplements and then they launch a supplementary skincare. Um, Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And they will never be as strong as launching together because mm. people will always know them as one category. And so for that, we really wanted to create this 360 approach that you could just buy everything in one shopping cart and you'd be set. I love that. Can you tell me more about Sephora Accelerate? Yeah, so I uh, was selected from Australia. It's a female focused. Each year they have different themes. I was meant to be in San Fran twice, then, you know, going through the boot camp and then pitching to all of these people and it was all done virtually. And sadly, I do think that having it done virtually, you know, given the climate, it was what was only available. But I do think I would have gotten a lot more out of it because of the time zone differences. Mm. I was sort of in a secondary group and, you know, it was really incredible. We had, you know, these top, you know, formulators and people involved in this boot camp teaching you about margins of skincare, teaching you about, you know, different ways of marketing, what's on trend, really focusing on that sustainability piece too, which I'm pretty passionate about. And uh, yeah, it was this all intensive boot camp virtually. So, how did you go about physically launching the brand? You'd launched businesses in an overlapping market before, but I imagine there's quite a few differences. So, how did you go about physically working through the steps to get it off the ground? So I had pretty much set up a foundational roadmap from Beauty Bites, yeah. uh, a lot more involved in skincare and supplements uh, than obviously a food product. So I did have to adapt. We definitely 
completely over we definitely bit off more than we can chew launching nine skews it was definitely something that i probably in hindsight would have launched you know, maybe three but then i also wanted to launch you know cleanser through to sleep mask yeah they're all so good though That's they're the all thing. so good and they all work so well together yeah. and then obviously the collagen and i didn't want to just launch two you know it's just yeah it is what it is, but it was definitely a market where I know is completely saturated. And I think what sets our brand apart is the collagen elixir mm -hmm. because we get nearly a kilo per, per product. So 30 sachets, nearly a kilo of product per purchase. Uh, so rather than a lot of the leading collagen brands, you get 90 grams. And I always had the mindset that I want to have the consumer in the forefront of any product. So yeah. rather than spending, you know, 70 or $80 on 90 grams, you're going to spend 110 and you're going to get nearly a kilo because I actually genuinely want people to actually get results. Whereas a lot of the other brands say, Oh, I take two to three sachets to get the best results. And then you're spending so much money and it's yeah. just, it's not, ethically right for me. I think that, you know, not that they're not ethical, but I just think from the way that we've progressed in this collagen space, I think that, you know, you've got access to being able to put more ingredients in there. So we've got hyaluronic acid, we've got silica, we focus on gut health with our digestive enzymes, your probiotics, your prebiotics, we've got B vitamins, vitamin C, and then collagen. So it's more than just collagen. And so I think that that's sort of you know, trying to then have a point of difference in a really saturated market. You launched about three minutes before giving birth to Hunter, which was also mm -hmm. smack bang in the middle of COVID lockdowns. Mm -hmm. What challenges did that timing present? Incredible challenges. Uh, so this was just before we really hit massive lockdown. Hunter, mm -hmm. my son was born prematurely, yeah, uh, which was a massive shock to the system because I was launching Habitual Beauty the week after. Yeah, well, we so, thought that I thought I'd be getting on a plane and the event would be. <laughs> all I thought the plan go. was me being heavily pregnant. We we're making jokes, ha ha! Don't go into labour beforehand, yeah. ha ha ha! Very funny. Very funny. Uh, oh, we were so naive. <laughs> um, but everything's definitely worked out. I mean, we definitely pivoted a little bit in our marketing and, you know, I've really learned the challenges of launching in a really saturated market. And, you know, now we're starting to see the real sell through that we know that the brand is. And once we hook people in to buy the products, they're converted. It's just about trying to get cut, you know, through that massive noise. So yeah, Hunter was born on the Monday. We launched on the Sunday. Mm -hmm. after and then that was put on hold the launch was put on hold because of COVID because it wasn't the right time I mean I think we had our event the day before we went into massive lockdown yeah so it was umming and ahhing whether you'd be able to get on the flight and then all of this it was just a blur and you know so we launched and we have never actually properly had a launch event so we're actually you know two weeks out from having our proper launch event which is really exciting to finally give it that moment that it needs bring it 
Can't wait. Can't you wait. touched on this earlier. Something I would love your take on is dealing with competitors. Mm-hmm. We've we've discussed this privately. I'm not going to name any names, but how have you coped in both a business sense and also just mentally with seeing competitors emerge? What advice can you offer to other business owners who are stressing about the competition? What good advice? So I think try not to take it personal would be my biggest advice, but I'm not one to not take it personal. I think that it's really hard when you've literally put your whole entire life savings into your business. I mean, I have still not taken a wage from any business because I keep on wanting to launch brands and businesses and putting all my profit into that. Uh, So it's really hard and challenging. I mean, we've just come out of a trademark infringement, which we won, which is great because we actually owned the trademark uh, in the UK. Uh, We've had multiple brands completely plagiarize our marketing, Mm -hmm. which is really hard because you can't really go to court over that. Uh, And then we've had, you know, major retailers launch knockoff products right next to ours. Mm. And it's about trying to ride the waves of emotion. Uh, People are obviously noticing the brand if you're getting your product replicated. Yeah. And the best thing that I've got is no one's been able to replicate our taste. They can replicate the concept the idea, the branding, the marketing, but no one has replicated the taste. And I'm really fortunate that people have got such an attachment to the brands because I actually found out about this one knockoff by a consumer, not by anyone else. It was, have you seen these? Oh my gosh, they taste terrible. <laughs> and so I immediately dropped everything, ran to the, you know, retailer. <laughs> and then, uh, tried it and I was so happy that I you know it didn't taste as good as ours so I think that it's really challenging it's so hard but I mean it's that form of flattery that you've been noticed it's a nice way of looking at it on advice and also on private discussions that I'm now publicly airing you have about 14 new business ideas in your head (laughs) at any given moment that in mind what advice can you give to anyone who has an idea but just doesn't know where to start yeah so I think my biggest piece of advice is you have always got to bring it back to your why Mm mm-hmm So for me with Beauty Bites, it was was solving a need that I had. And every single time things would bring, you know, go haywire, I would have to bring it back to that why. So, I mean, also go to people that aren't necessarily the best of the best. I mean, when we launched Crumbles and Crumbled, Crumbled Foods, we went to the best trademark attorney in Sydney and wasted a bomb. Mm. And then I put up a question on a Facebook group being like, does anyone know any good trademark attorneys that's, you know, a small family run business? And I got put on top uh, in touch with the most incredible trademark attorney who is just goes above and beyond and she doesn't inflate her costs. So I think it's being about conscious about where you're spending your money. So with Crumbled, I definitely blew a lot of my budget on things that I thought I needed. Uh, So that's definitely my number one thing is to, you know, going to the big and the best, 
of things is not necessarily always the right thing for you to do as a business owner. I like that advice. This is the first time anyone said that. You have been a part of the beauty industry for some time now. Over, let's say, the past few years, what have been some of the biggest changes that you've seen within the beauty industry? I think transparency. Yeah. I think you cannot launch a brand and hide and cover up something that you're trying to cover up without getting called out. I think that there are so many people watching you at all times. I think you have to be transparent about everything in business. And yeah, I think that that's probably been the biggest thing that I've noticed is that you'll get called out if you are not transparent and trying to hide something. And what changes do you think we can expect to see from the beauty industry over the coming few years? Oh, good question. Thank you. This is where I uh, the the questions that you emailed me that I didn't read could have come in handy me thinking of this. Um, look, I think that we're definitely on this path of sustainability. I mean, the current global crisis that we are living and breathing at the yeah. moment is definitely something that should be the forefront of every founder's minds. I mean, we use a biodegradable bottle for our cleanser bottle. Recyclability is something that's so important. And, you know, looking at ways that I can carbon offset in the next few years and just having a little bit more of an impact in that sustainability piece is definitely something I want to do. As part of the uh, the Sephora Accelerator program, I mean, there was this one girl from China that had created her entire range that was just in a bar. Wow. And no packaging, nothing. And it was just, well, obviously there was packaging, but there was no plastic and it yeah. was not in like a bottle or a vessel. It was just a bar. And you know, it was incredible to see that sort of conscious creation from these sort of people. Um, so I think that that's definitely, definitely where we're going. I think this space of, you know, blurring the lines of supplements and, you know, skincare is definitely something that people are going into. CBD skincare would be amazing to see in Australia a little bit more. Yes. Yeah. My final question what is next for Beauty Bites and for Habitual Beauty? So we're looking to open up our factory for Crumbled Foods, Beauty Bites, which yes. is really exciting. Yeah, so that's sort of something that I've always wanted to do. I, I mean, the vision for Crumbled has always been to become a healthy Nestle, to have multiple products and brands and that's sort of my vision, but we've never been able to have the capacity because, again, I come up with all these other business ideas and I want to be launching them and not yeah. focusing on my baby. So that's where Crumbled is definitely going. I'm really excited to be launching new products and new brands underneath Crumbled. Uh, and Habitual Beauty, we've got so much new product development in the pipeline. It's so exciting. I can't wait to get my hands on some of the prototypes that we're finalising. And... Um, yeah, we're going to be launching in the UK for Habitual Beauty shortly. Yes, oh, yeah. that's massive. Yeah, so Crumbled Beauty Bites launched in the UK uh, a week after Hunter was born too also, which is great. Perfect. Great timing. Um, and so, yeah, we're really focusing on the UK and EU expansion for both brands and both businesses, and I'll be heading out there in April. That was Kira Rumble founder of Habitual Beauty and Crumbled Foods, who you can find on Instagram at crumble, at habitualbeauty.co and at crumbled foods. 
To read this interview, you can visit glowjournal.com. And for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at jemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me.